Well, growing up in a small town in Kentucky, uh, me and my two older brothers oftentimes had to be creative to make sure that we stayed entertained. And so growing up in a county called Bourbon County, you can only imagine that the redneck entertainment was next level, baby, I'm telling you. And I mean, whether it was having a bottle rocket fight, literally throwing bottle rockets at one another, or shooting the street lights out with our BB gun, or filling up tennis balls, no lie, filling up tennis balls with gasoline, lighting them on fire, and playing soccer up and down the neighborhood streets. And yes, that may have kept us entertained, but I can assure you our neighbors were not entertained. And so it wasn't uncommon on the other side of our shenanigans to have a neighbor, a parent, and even on the rare occasion, a police officer show up and look at us and say something to the extent of shame on you. Hold that thought. Today, we're going to be talking about God's love. And there's probably not too many subjects that I like to talk about as much as I like to talk about God's love. It's actually a very easy subject for me to talk about. It's a very fun subject for me to talk about. I look forward to preaching on this subject, but I want to let you know that sincerely, listen to me, sincerely, every single time that I approach this subject, my hope, my hope is that we are overwhelmed by it all over again. Truly. No matter how long you've been following Jesus, maybe you've been following him your whole life, maybe you're completely new to all of this, but can I just ask this morning, can I encourage you to maybe even shelf, just shelf what you think you already know and allow yourself to be overwhelmed by the Father's love all over again. I personally believe that as we invest and we take deeper dives into the subject of God's love, that we should be overwhelmed over and over and over again. I can't possibly know like what the level of knowledge that you have about God, and therefore I can't possibly know what the level of knowledge or understanding you have about God's love is this morning. But what I do know, listen to me, what I do know is that throughout our lives, all of us have had experiences that have shaped how we view God, which means we've also had experiences that probably have shaped how we understand his love. And unfortunately, a lot of times, those experiences are the, on the other side of maybe a church or a Christian that did a much better job at pointing out our faults and our failures than they did pointing out God's forgiveness. And so with that in mind, I want us to dive deeply into understanding. Again, no matter how much you think you already know, let's shelf it. Dive deeply into a, a more... Let me say it differently. God, God, we want to dive deeper into an understanding and knowledge of your love for us, regardless of what we think we already know. And so, God, would you, if, even if necessary, wreck us all over again with an understanding of how much you love us this morning. Sometimes what happens on the other side of those well-meaning Christians or churches, and maybe they weren't well-meaning, but we walk away feeling like it was actually God. It was actually God who put the shame on you. And maybe if we're talking about kind of the long game, that's the series we're in right now, maybe one of the long games when it comes to a deeper understanding of the Father's love, maybe one of the long games is actually to learn how to get the shame off of you. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter five. He says, hope, hope doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, hold on to that thought, 
Well, we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, doesn't just say it, doesn't just write it. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while you, while you were still in it, whatever it was for you, while you were still in it, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, if you were to look into other religions, you will no doubt find some good people. If you were to look into other religions and faith backgrounds, you'll probably find some good processes. You might even find a good system of laws and rules that kind of keep you going the direction that they want you to go. But at the core of Christianity, it's the only faith that at the core of it, it actually has good news. We call it the gospel, which literally means good news. And it's the fact that God demonstrated his love for us, that while you were still powerless, you know what that means? When you had nothing to offer, when you had no way to pay him back, when you did nothing to earn it, that God sent Jesus, his very son, to go and take the place that you deserved on a cross. And he allowed his very son, this is how he demonstrates his love for us, that he sent his own son to die in our place. Friends, that is good news. The only person that that isn't good news for was Jesus. And since that is good news, listen to me this morning. I want you to know that every mistake, every moment of regret, every misguided decision that you have ever made was nailed to that cross with Jesus. Why? Because God loves you that much. And he loves you so much that not only did he want to remove your sins, but he no longer wanted you to walk in shame. And so anyone this morning that has maybe come in here with a story that represents some, to some extent, a story of regret that's caused you to, even with your knowledge or your understanding up, to, up until this point of God's love, even with that, you're still walking with shame because of the things that are following you. I want to let you know this morning that Jesus didn't just die for your sins. He died so that you're, you could walk without your shame. Friends, that's why it's called grace. Grace literally means the unmerited favor and forgiveness of our Heavenly Father. And we should never forget this. We should never forget this. But stay with me. Because even though we acknowledge that we no longer are guided by guilt, even though we acknowledge that we no longer need to walk with our shame, even though we should acknowledge that we should walk in freedom every single day because of the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father, even though those things are true, we also should never forget, stay with me, we should never forget how far we were from God and how much we desperately needed His forgiveness. We should never forget how much we desperately needed the love of God in our life and for Jesus to take our place on that cross. We desperately need to remember that. Why? Because I believe our lostness, which is how I would kind of sum all of that up. When the Bible talks about how far we were from God and how separated we, we are from God, it often uses this term called loss. You're lost. You're lost without Jesus. And I believe our lostness, church, I believe our lostness should inform our love. Let me tell you what I mean by that. All of us are guilty to some extent. All of us are guilty in allowing other things to inform how we love, who we love at times, or maybe when we choose to love them and when we choose to not. 
And so what happens is if we don't have a clear understanding of the Father's love for us and how that was extended to us, regardless of anything, or I should say despite anything that we had to offer, when we don't have a clear understanding of the Father's love, it's going to be impossible for us to extend the love of God to others. Amen? So if I could give you one compelling reason among maybe all other reasons of why you need to understand the Father's love for your life, so that you can then reflect it to the lives of others. And if we don't remember our lostness, if we don't remember how much we needed Jesus to die for us, then we start to allow other things to inform our love. Things like politics, things maybe like our race, our ethnicity, maybe our age, maybe our gender, maybe whether or not somebody chooses Qdoba over Chipotle. I mean, come on, there's some righteous judgment there, right? You see, when we don't have a deep understanding of the Father's love, the wrong things start to inform how and when and who we choose to love. And I believe none of that deserves any right whatsoever to inform our love. The only thing that should be informing our love is the example of Jesus and our own personal lostness. The example of Jesus and our own personal lostness. When we allow anything other than that to inform how and when and who we choose to love, we start drawing lines and putting limitations up that Jesus came to cross. That Jesus came to break down. We're actually going to be doing a series in the fall. I'll go ahead and give you a heads up on this called Lines. And I promise you, like I'm jazzed about that series. That's a series you do not want to miss. Let me show you the example that Jesus gives us specifically of how he loves. In John chapter 15, he says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. You know what joy does, church? It replaces shame. It replaces shame. My command is this, to love each other as I have loved you. So Jesus is pointing to some kind of an example because he's saying, hey, love each other as I have loved you. So how did he love us? He loved us through serving us and sacrificing for us. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This past week, um, you inevitably saw some of the same images that I did coming out of Afghanistan, and so whether it was someone clinging on to an airplane and holding on even so long that they went up thousands of feet only to fall to their death, or maybe you saw moms tossing their babies to American soldiers at fear of what would happen if they didn't get out. Maybe you even saw some people lying in the street that had lost their life in their own personal desperation and attempts to get out of that country. All of it tragic. But maybe something just as tragic, church, maybe something just as tragic was what I observed when I saw people getting on social media, Christians, people that I know that claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and getting on there and starting out, and their first response being some political rant, why it's Trump's fault or Biden's fault, or, hey, we needed to get them out anyway. The Afghanistan people need to figure it out. They need to figure it out for themselves. And listen, let me be clear. I'm not saying you shouldn't have political opinions. I'm not saying that you shouldn't even have opinions about whether or not we needed to stay or whether we needed to go. That's not what I'm talking about at all. What I want to encourage you and challenge you and maybe even get in your face 
a little bit this morning with is that if our first response as followers of Jesus is not one of empathy and love and prayer, then you're allowing something else to inform your love. You're allowing something else than your own personal lostness and the example of Jesus to inform your love. Church, I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have opinions. I'm not saying that you shouldn't even post you know, certain opinions at times. I'm just trying to encourage you to make sure that your first response to anything tragic, where you know that there's a people going through pain, is one of love. Many years ago, I was pastoring a church down in Arizona, and while I was down there, I remember one particular Sunday morning, a family came up to me and said, "Uh, Pastor Aaron, would you be willing to come to the hospital and pray over our nephew? And I said, yeah, sure, what's going on? They said, well, he's got meningitis, and he's likely going to lose both of his feet and both of his hands. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, absolutely, that's horrific, I'd you know, I'd love to come. And he had been in a coma for a long time, came out of the coma. And I said, man, I'd be more than happy to come and pray over him. He's only in his 20s. And they said, well, there's something that you need to know before you come. Chris is gay, and he doesn't mind me using his name. I've had a lot of conversations with Chris. They said, Chris is gay. And we've got some family members in our family that are followers of Jesus that have been telling Chris that God is making these things happen to him to punish him because of the choices that he's made in life. And I said, okay. And so I get to the hospital and I sit down with Chris, never meeting him before, and all I wanted to talk to him about was God's love. And I wanted to represent in his life a different kind of love that I know to be true that's represented in the gospel. And I wanted to show Chris, and I wanted Chris to have a deeper understanding that God is not punishing you, Chris, because of any mistakes or sin in your life. But this is how much God loves you, Chris, that God actually sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, and with it, he gave Jesus your punishment. He gave Jesus your punishment. He gave Jesus the punishment that you deserve. That's how much he loved you. Jesus took all of your sins and all of our sins to that cross with him. And you need to know this, that God will never punish two people for the same crime. So if God God has already punished Jesus for your crime and your sin, then he's not going to punish you as well. Now, Is there an eternal implication here of what happens if we don't put our faith and trust in Jesus at all throughout this life? Yes, I'm not talking about eternal judgment today. I'm talking about what God is doing in our midst right now. And so I did my best to help Chris understand that God loved him and that, yes, listen to me, when Chris asked hard questions, I gave him biblical answers and I represented biblical truth. But more than anything, I wanted to represent what God's love actually looked like because it had been so misrepresented in his life. A few weeks ago, I found out that Chris passed away. And he passed away earlier this year, and I didn't know about it, but found out. And it was a reminder to me, church, and it should be a reminder to you that all we have is a little bit of time. 
all we have, any of us, all we have is a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to represent God's unfailing love to a, to a world that is so far removed from knowing that, from understanding that, from accepting that, from, from inviting that into their lives. And I believe we have the opportunity to represent that better than anything else. But we first have to understand it ourselves. We first have to accept it ourselves. And maybe there's a handful of you in here already that are kind of putting together your whatabouts. Right? Well, Aaron, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, what about, what about my spouse? What about my ex-wife or my ex-husband that was so deceptive and treated me this way? What about terrorists? What about, what about people who do these things or people that don't? What about child molesters? What about, what about? And maybe you're putting together whatever your whatabouts need to be. And listen to me, I'm not here to answer all of those questions, but what I do know is that as followers of Jesus, he encourages us to love our enemies. Do I do that well? Probably not. And so I, as your pastor, I'm learning how to love hard, even when it's hard. And if I can encourage you this morning to put aside your whatabouts when it comes to how and when and who you choose to love and how you choose to love them, and I just want to encourage you to love hard even when it's hard. Trace, are you in agreement with me this morning that it's time that we change how Christians are perceived by the rest of the world, by how we love, by how we choose to love people, like really love them? And think about it, if grace, if the grace that was extended to us from God gave us unmerited favor and forgiveness, and it's nothing that we could have earned on our own, then why should we expect anything from anyone before they can receive our love? Now, I'm not suggesting that we love in a way that's passive. I'm not suggesting that we're loving in a way that's dismissing truth. What I am suggesting is that we love others in the same way that our Heavenly Father has loved us, with no limitations, with no strings attached. When we had nothing to offer, listen, he didn't wait until we did. When we had nothing to offer, God's not stepping back and saying, hey, I'll give you some time because you gotta figure it out a little bit first. You gotta hey, you make that adjustment, fix those few things, come back to me, and then we can talk about whether or not I'm going to give you my love. No, no strings attached. Which means there's nothing that you can do to make God love you anymore, and the next one will blow your mind. It really will if you think about it. And there's nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. And I want to talk about that for a moment. And what I'm going to talk about next may be hard for some of you to hear. It may open up some wounds. And so I'm just giving you a heads up that where I'm about to go, I think many people need to allow me to take you there. I, need, I think you need to open yourself up to the love of God in a new way this morning, especially if you fall into the category of people that I'm getting ready to talk to. And let me begin by saying this. This past week, this past week, I had a lot of conversations with veterans that served in Afghanistan uh, that were really hurting, that were really troubled. Many of them, and it was, it, was very, it was eerie how much I heard similar stories over and over and over again, and how many of them feel like that all that they had done over there was a wash. It was for, no, for nothing. It was good for nothing because of what's happening now. And so many of them struggling. And so listen to me, if you know somebody that served in Afghanistan, can I encourage you right now just to think of who that is today? Send them an email, send them a, a message, give them a phone call and just say, I just wanted you to know that I was thinking of you. I just wanted you to know I was praying for you. I know this has probably got to be difficult for you. 
And in one of the emails that I received from a veteran this week, not the first time that I've heard this, but in one of the emails that I received, the person was letting me know that because of what they had done, specifically in Afghanistan, because of some of the things that they had done, they said, I, wouldn't, I don't think I can ever feel lovable again. By God, this exact words, by God or anyone else. I don't think I could ever feel loved again. Even if you're not military, even if that particular situation doesn't represent you, there's some of you, maybe many of you in this room, that have done some things, horrific things, things that you wouldn't want anybody else to ever know about. I've got some things that are in my past that I wouldn't want you to know about. And one of the things that I want to do right now is I want to even the playing field because, listen to me, none of us deserve the love of God. Like, let's even the playing field. Like, you take whatever in your mind you need to right now is the most horrific thing that you've ever done. And I want to let you know that even with that and with everybody else's list of whatever they have done that was against the will of God, all of it is an even playing field because none of us, none of us deserve the love of God. In Romans, Paul says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so let's be really clear this morning. The, the playing field is even, regardless of how horrific your list may be. And I want you to know this morning that even with your greatest, most ugliest failure, that Jesus still wanted to die for you because God loves you that much. And there's either a list somewhere that I don't know about. There's either a list somewhere that says, here are all the do's and here are all the don'ts. And as long as you follow through with this list of the do's and don'ts, then you can receive the love and forgiveness of God. There's either a list like that somewhere that I've never found in the scriptures or God's love. Listen, God's love is actually unconditional. Let me show you what Paul says when he writes to the church in Ephesus. But God, so rich. When I was preparing this week, I've learned to just take moments, even though I've got an agenda, right? I've got to put a sermon together. I've got to put something together that hopefully will make an impact in your lives. And, and I'm thinking about different things, but every now and then I'm learning to do this more. I just stop. I just stop. So rich. God is so rich. So rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. That even though we were, everybody say were, because of your list, whatever your list is, no matter how horrific your list is, yeah, you were. Listen to me, you were dead. You were dead, a spiritual death. You were dead because of your sins. But God gave us life. God gave us life. I pray this morning that God breathes life into somebody who needs to feel it once again. You've known God and you've heard about his love for the majority of your life, but for whatever reason, you've never embraced the life that he came to give you, that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for because he wants to give you life. He wants to breathe life into you today. And he's able to do that because he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only, everybody say only. It's only. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Only. 
only. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages. Can I ask you to make it personal this morning? So God, ready, think of it, your most horrific sin, your greatest regret, whatever that would make you feel the most disqualified from ever receiving God's love. You ready? Grab it. And I want you to make this personal so God can point to you. So God can point to you in all future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. Anybody got an amen for me this morning? As shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. Last week, I talked to us about the importance of gathering together and why we shouldn't you know, not just make church, the church gathering an option, but that it really should be a priority. And I talked to us specifically about how Jesus, when he told us to gather, he wants us to gather in agreement, that we gather in agreement. And when we gather in agreement that God's power and God's presence is on display in a deeper way. And I can't imagine anything <laughs> from one week to the next on any given Sunday when we gather in here on a Sunday morning, I can't imagine anything that's more important for us to be agreeing upon than God's love, and more specifically, that God's love, it never fails. Your spouse might fail you. Your parents might fail you. A boss may fail you. A church might even fail you. I might even fail you. But God's love God's love never fails. Where there are prophecies, Paul says, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when, we, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Let me sum that up really quick with this. There may be a lot of things that we do that feel spiritual and feel awesome at the time that we're doing them, and we have things that make us feel more connected with God. And at some point in time, maybe those feelings, maybe even those emotions Maybe the things that we felt at some point in time when it came to our faith, those things may fade away, but God's love will never fade this morning or ever. I don't know why I said this morning. God's love will never fail you. And he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let me close with this. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, coming back from my sabbatical, one of the things I've been talking to our team about is the difference between efficiency and effectiveness. And for whatever reason, if you want to, you can take this and adopt this and adapt this into different areas of your life. But I was talking to him about the difference in efficiency versus effectiveness. In other words, we can come in on any given week for our work week, and we can just answer emails all day if we want. And we can get on the end of a day, and by answering emails all day long, we can be like, oh, I think I was efficient today. But are we effective ministers of the gospel if that's all we did? Maybe as a parent, mom or dad, maybe you can do house projects all day long. You can fix some things. You can clean the house all day. And you can get at the other end of a day and say, you oh, know, I felt like I was efficient today. But were you an effective parent? On Sunday morning, we can come in here and we can have awesome 
kids ministry stuff going on and Trace Kids and our students ministry can be doing a lot of cool stuff with your students and worship can be great and you can experience life-changing sermons from the, but no, 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 I'll take it, I'll take it. Give me the Christian charity, I'll take it. All that stuff can be good and we may walk away from a Sunday and say, you know what, I think we were efficient today. Please don't miss what I say next. But what makes us effective is what we do when we leave those doors. What makes us effective as a family of believers, because we are a family, we're a church family, and hopefully we're all coming around together and sharing in a similar mission. We call it our on mission. It's been the same day. We're, yeah, we're celebrating our five-year anniversary here in a couple weeks, but it's been the same since day one, that we want to be on mission to leave a trace of God's love everywhere we go, which is why when you walk out those doors, if you haven't seen it recently, you look above the doors and we wanna remind you that you're on mission. It's not a mission statement, you're on mission. Every moment, every minute of every day and every week in your workplace, in your home, in the church, in your neighborhoods, we want you to be a trace of God's love everywhere you go, which means you're gonna have to slow down, you're gonna have to put put a hard pause on things sometimes and think about, God, Holy Spirit, what do you want to use me? How do you want to use me in this moment? I know my neighbor's going through a hard time. They're a veteran of Afghanistan. How can I get involved in their life? How can I make them feel tangibly the love of God today? I promise you there are more opportunities than you see every single day to be a trace of God's love everywhere you go. And if we want to be effective, not just efficient, if we want to be effective as a church, for the long game, it's going to be how well we love people in the name of Jesus, letting our lostness inform us and letting the example of Jesus inform us through service and through sacrifice. I'm going to pray for us, and I've got a specific challenge and request for some of you in here this morning, but I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to lead us into a time of response. Let me pray. God, thank you for your love. Father, thank you that you've made it abundantly clear that we don't have to do anything to earn it. That there's not some list in theory out there of whether or not we've done enough or we've done the wrong things. But God, while we were still powerless, in the midst of our sin, even in our greatest, in the moment, in the exact moment of our greatest regret, you still sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. God, I pray that that overwhelms us all over again. And so God, as we come back to the cross, as we come back to this moment of communion, I pray that you would remind us of our lostness, not because you want us to live in it, so that we can be reminded of what we were forgiven for. And God, that that would inform how we love. And so God, would you meet us in this moment? And if you need to, wreck us all over again with your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus, uh, we do this every week for a very specific purpose. We do something called the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. And we take a cup that has some juice in it and a cracker that represents the body of Jesus, the juice represents the blood, and we remember of what God made available to us through the cross, specifically through the resurrection of Jesus. 
that because of that happening, you do get to walk into new life. Because of that happening, you get to experience what it means to be a child of God. And I think we should hopefully be reminded about the cross every single day, but we've chosen as a church, not all churches choose to do this, but we've chosen to do this every single week because we think at least once a week we need to come back and be reminded of our lostness and how grateful we are for our forgiveness. But for some of you in this room right now, maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And God still loves you. He still extends his love to you, but the Bible's clear. You can't have forgiveness until you accept the Father's sacrifice on your behalf by sending Jesus to die for you. You don't have to do anything, but you have to believe that Jesus came in that gap that was separating you from your heavenly Father because of sin, because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us had that gap in our lives at some point. Maybe that gap still exists in your life, and the only promise of eternal life is for those that actually will invite Jesus to be the leader and Lord of their life. You can do that in this moment, and I would encourage you to never put that decision off. If you feel it right now, you don't have to go get things figured out first. There's no list you got to go get accomplished first. You don't got to go clean your life up first. Jesus will do all of that. But you do have to open yourself up to God and, and acknowledge, God, I know that I've sinned. God, I know that I'm apart from you, from you, and without Jesus, I can't have a relationship with you, and so I'm inviting you to be the leader and Lord of my life. I repent, and I'm inviting you to come and just take over my life. If you're ready to make that decision today, I want you to do something. And we've got some towels down front. And I want to encourage you that if you're ready to make the decision to come and grab one of these towels, and before you leave today, just go to Next Steps out by the docks and let them know that you've made a decision. And the next step that we would want you to take is is to be baptized. The Bible is really clear on this. After every time somebody put their faith and trust in Jesus in the New Testament, you would see them get baptized. And we don't believe that the waters of baptism are going to save you. We believe your confession saves you. But one of the reasons why I think baptism is so critical and it's so important, and I would even say it's essential, is because there's a statement that Jesus makes at one point in the Gospels that all of us should kind of tune into. He said, if you're ashamed of me, then I will be ashamed of you in front of my Heavenly Father. You know what baptism does? It shows everybody that you're not ashamed to call Jesus the leader and Lord of your life. When you're willing to submit to the waters of baptism and you go underneath that water, which resembles dying to your way of life, to come out of that water, to be raised to walk a new life in Christ, it resembles that I am not ashamed to let you know and you know and you know and you know and you know that Jesus is the leader and Lord of my life. And so if you've never been baptized... Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while. Maybe you were baptized as a baby. And we think that's awesome that your parents did that, but every example we see in the new covenant was actually people making that decision for themselves to be baptized. And so if you've never been baptized, come up and grab a towel today. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a baptism Sunday on our five-year anniversary, and we're gonna celebrate life-changing Jesus and watch people go underneath the waters of baptism. I think three or four people grabbed a towel last service. So I'm going to pray for us right now. And if it's you, yeah, I know this is white. It's a white towel, which means a sign of surrender. Surrendering is not weak. Surrendering is one of the most powerful and courageous things you can do today.
I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll encourage you to respond. God, we pray. The people of God this morning pray in agreement that, that if there's anyone in this room this morning that has not made you the leader and Lord of their life, and they feel the conviction in this moment, they feel the Holy Spirit moving, they feel that there's a void in their life, and they know it needs to be filled by something, and maybe now for the first time in their entire life, they understand that it's actually you, Jesus. And so, God, if it's anyone in this room, we pray in agreement this morning that they would be courageous, that they would walk forward, they would come forward, they'd grab one of these towels, and they surrender their life to you. So God, we pray that you would move powerfully. We're gathered in agreement this morning under your name, under the name of Jesus. And so may your power and your presence be on display. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Feel free to respond.